Funding for Start the Beat is provided in part by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode. If you're one of those people, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much for coming back. But for everyone out there who's new to the show, welcome. Feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to put a quick disclaimer out there. Nothing serious. It's just that my guest on the show today is in Norway. I am in the United States of America. We recorded this conversation via video chat using the internet. And hey, sometimes the internet doesn't work. Sometimes computers get tired. So there may be some strange audio artifacts here and there with signal or the video might like pause and freeze a little bit that's just internet shit connections not much we could do about it regardless it's a great conversation you're really gonna enjoy it so just your phone's not fucking up if you hear anything wacky it's just the internet and the way that we have to do things right now i'm sure we're all used to it but i like to put that out there because I try my best to put out the best quality product that I can, and sometimes things are just out of my control. But with I out of the way, I'm going to shut the hell up so we can get into this conversation. Sit back, relax, and let's start the motherfucking beat. How the fuck's it going, man? How you doing? Make some noise for the internet. So... For everyone out there that does not know you, please introduce yourself to the fine people of the internet in the world. Well, my name is, uh, I have two names when it comes to music. I have Svartalva, which is my uh, black metal side. And I have uh, SA Destroyer, which is my thrash metal, heavy metal side. And my name is Kenneth, that which my parents gave me. But Svartalva is also in my passport. So I guess that's a part of me. Uh, I've been into music since uh, I started my first band in 1987 and played my first show then and just evolved with the whole kind of thing into thrash metal, death metal, black metal. And uh, I got started with bands like Gehenna and Satyricon, which really just, yeah, you know, launched, launched everything. And after that, I just... It's easier to kind of pick and choose. So that's kind of like the very short version. Gotcha. I think that, you know, starting to play shows in 1987, like, I don't know if you really could have picked a better time to be getting into the music that you play. Like, you've really been through pretty much the whole... It was so inspiring, you know. No matter where you turn or what you do, it was just good shit, no matter what, what it was, you know. Just, I heard the other day I was writing for a magazine about 1987, because that's the era I discovered Coroner and their Rip album, the first one. And that's one of those things that I don't know if you can see that <laughs> just by mentioning it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Goosebumps. Because that's one of those things, you know, you go into a shop and just, okay, you got like 50 kroners, which is like five bucks. And you just, okay, that cover looks cool. You turn it around and it's like, oh, Noise has released it. That's a good stamp. And you go home and it just turns your whole life around, you know. 
and then you go down to the rehearsal room and you tell the other guys and you give them a cassette and you know that that whole thing that was it's it was so different and it was so rare because that album you know you have saved up and you have been doing dishes and cleaning your room and doing all this shit to get this fucking money i, I even walked from the you know suburbs that i lived in outside oslo and walked into town that was six hours because i could only afford like a bus fare one way yeah so i walked in i got my fucking album <laughs> and then i could take the bus back or i could do it the other way but the walk home is really fucking long when you're holding that ozzy osborne album and you you're just walking for six hours watching that fucking thing <laughs> yeah yeah i remember uh, when I was younger and taking the public transit to go pick up albums, you know, I didn't even have a like compact, uh, I didn't have like a Walkman or a compact disc player. So I would literally just like read all of the lyrics like over and yeah. over again until I got home. <laughs> and then like I would listen to it and I would like call a friend on the phone and try to play it for them over the phone. It's a much different, yeah. <laughs> a much different time than now. Very. And, uh, and you know, and that that kind that's where you know that whole package thing comes in too because when you're you're kind of expecting something when you're coming home you know when you got one of those you know you have Masters of Puppets or you whatever kind of album from around those days and you come you know what you're gonna get you just know this is gonna be so good because the pictures the cover the titles the the whole feel the whole packaging. Yeah, that's what kind of it turns you on way before you put in the fucking album. You know, it, it, you're like, wow, and that thing's not happening that much anymore. You know, when you get that woo feeling even before you put it in. Mm -mm. No, because like when you're looking at album covers, the majority of the time it's on a phone screen next to you know a sandwich that somebody ate and in front of a post <laughs> of some <laughs> politic thing. Like you don't just get to like you know go to like the metal section of a CD store and just try to find the most gnarly looking thing. I remember yeah, even the smell, you know, the smell of the LPs and uh -huh. the, the people and people standing around listening to those weird, weird kind of headphones where you have to hold them. You can't put, do, I don't know if you guys have, <laughs> no, I don't think we did, States, but just, just so people couldn't like kind of hang out for two hours and listen to Pink Floyd albums. They had this, you know, just headphones with this handle thing on the bottom. So you have to kind of hold it up and, kind of squeeze them into your ears instead oh interesting so you kind of you're, you're not going to stand there for two hours you know you're just going to listen to you know the most important parts and then you're going to put the thing down again mm -hmm. <laughs> i think that you know it's interesting how like for a long time i felt like uh movies and like the movie poster artwork i remember in the 2000s thinking to myself like movie poster art sucks now and now I kind of oh, yeah. have I have the same thought with album covers. It's like nobody yeah. it seems like nobody cares anymore. And if you do get a new LP, it's so rare to find like a band even like you're where you're getting like a super awesome gatefold jacket or something that includes like a booklet or anything like that. Like one of the first records I owned my uncle bought for me and it was a copy of Iron Maiden's Live After Death. And I still have the oh, same yeah. I still have the same <laughs> fucking record. And I remember being a little kid and like you get lost in that artwork cuz it wraps around the whole thing and it came with like this oh, huge yeah. like 20 page booklet of them on tour and all these pictures and pictures of the stage show and like you get lost in that just listening to that fucking thing man like it changed me 
you feel a part of the whole band, you know, when you're finished with that whole package, and that takes a couple of years before, because you're gonna you're gonna stare at that cover, and you have to find the little symbol from the dude who's drawing the maiden covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have to read on the little the little tombstones, you know, with mm. the little names on and all this kind of stuff. That uh, and 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 that whole that whole thing, you know, and, and it just I don't know, it becomes almost like a part of a family. <laughs> Yeah. And I know for people who's like stuck in really bad times, it actually becomes a part of your family. You know, it's that album is worth more to you than, you know, your actual family is fucking with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that, I, that's that's where the power of the music comes in there. You know, when you put that thing on and you hear that, you know, Long Beach Arena or whatever <laughs> the fuck Bruce is screaming, you're uh-huh. just like, oh, yes, I'm there, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really awesome. Actually, just this past summer before covid happened and you know the end of the fucking world uh we actually got to see iron maiden i'd seen them a lot of times but my girlfriend had never seen them live and uh her dad who had just passed away a couple years ago was a huge iron maiden fan so like she was like real emotional being at the show and like she started crying as soon as they started playing just because she was like so (laughs) happy and just like overwhelmed (laughs) with being there in the moment just it is a powerful thing like they still fucking have it and that says a lot. It is. It's really. I've been on stage and had people crying in front of me while you're on stage, and that's a really powerful thing too. And I remember this really young dude, this couple, and we played in Hamburg with Satyricon, and we played Mother North, which is then it was like the one of the new big tracks. And this couple was standing there just bawling their eyes out, you know. And then, you know, I don't care if they're 17 years old, you know, you're kind of striking a chord there between, you know, you and them. And then then to be able to do, you know, the Steve Harris thing and, you know, you just yeah. move up on them, you know, with your bass guitar and your makeup on and you just, OK, let's make these people have a really good talk time. Uh-huh. So, you that's, know. That, that's what happened, you know, when I was young and went to a Maiden show and I saw Steve Harris doing that machine gun thing on his bass and he's like, you know, eight feet away from me. That shit changes my whole life. You know, oh. you go home with hopes and dreams and all kinds of shit. And I had the same. I made my mom get the same pants. You know, I was beat up at school <laughs> because I had the Steve Harris pants and those kinds of things. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude! I spent countless hours as a toddler in my room running around with the tennis racket, pretending to be Steve Harris. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. That, that, that's the training, you know. You have to do that if you're gonna if you're gonna ever be on a stage. If you're one of those dudes who's never been jumping around in your room, fuck it. You're never gonna make it on stage. <laughs> if you go to Wacken, you have Wacken and you have 150 thousand people. You have to own that fucking place, you know. You can't go up there and just be like a little death metal band in the corner on the rehearsal room, you know. Just you have to fucking own it, and that's you, you need training. You need to listen to Kiss and jump around and yeah. I have this whole stage thing you know with my friends where we outside the apartment building where i lived we rigged up we had twisted sister concerts only to of course you know playback stuff and we threatened our friends to give us you know nickels and dimes (laughs) 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 and of course a older dude who was supposed to be our manager who ran off with like the seven bucks we owned Oh, that we had earned, and he he bought candy for himself. <laughs> there is it started there, you know. It started in 1982. It started. It's my first motherfucker who ran away with some money from my band. <laughs> you know, it's funny just thinking about like how you know you're you're playing heavy metal musician, and already like the kid playing promoter is being sleazy. <laughs> oh yeah, and he was a complete dick too. You know, he had a full personality. He was like. 
I don't know, he was like 14 and we were like nine or something like that. And he was a complete package, you know, the sleazy bastard, really up there, rigging it up for us. He had his little cup with the money thing in. And when it was getting like a couple hours later, so I was like, where's, where's Tommy gone? Yeah. And he was like way off by Encanto. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. So, you know, you've been in this world for a very long time, the majority of your life, it would appear. And one of the yeah. things that I always need to ask people and is just like, what is it for you that keeps it going i just imagine it's so much of your dna you probably don't have another choice i don't know i have no choice at all <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried once like 15 years ago i cut my hair to my shoulders and i tried to do like the whole package with a big house by the sea and family and all that stuff i regretted fucking immediately i okay. sat down and watched some old wasp videos and i just i cried and i drank okay. and i yeah i don't know that fucked you know, bad. So it, it's in me. It's been in me since I was seven years old. And I discovered, and my first discovery was D. Snyder. And then you're fucked, you know. When D. Snyder becomes your god and you're seven years old, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing no one can do there. And in the beginning, in the start of the 80s, everything was so boring and gray and just like, come on, people. So when D. Snyder comes along with his, you know, pink shit hanging everywhere, it's like, oh yeah, bring it on. And from there, that, that initial feeling there, that's what I'm still grasping for. That's what I'm still when I'm in studios and making albums and stuff like that. I want that thing. I want that tickle in my stomach that I had when I was a young kid. So a lot of the stuff I recorded with Nocturnal Breed, which is much more thrash and heavy metal related, that stuff, in the, especially in the early days. And that's, that's a kind of smart thing to do. Take a bunch of friends in the studio while you're recording. Let them drink. And you can just watch through the window, you know, when these people start just going like this, well, you got something going. Yeah. You know, and you, you can just use that as, as a measurement to figure out what you're doing. And we used to do that on two albums. <laughs> Everyone was drugged out and completely drunk. But it's, you know, it got you this instant reflex, you know. Oh, yeah, this is perfect. This is obviously not perfect because people are walking outside having a bong instead, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I'm still, I still, I still want that. Last time we recorded in 2019, we recorded a Nocturnal Breed album. I, I actually told this writer who was doing the the studio work as an engineer. I actually told him to turn off the subs. And you should have watched his face, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can't do this, you know, I know from like an intelligent, you know, engineer standpoint, you know, you don't turn off the subs, but I was like, no, I want to hear this. I want to mix this thing on the studio speakers that I have kind of stuff. Yeah. And we, we don't like, we on purposely, we, we try to like use not the best equipment, not the most time, you know, tinkering around with riffs and just like just get the fucking feeling in. And so we recorded and made the whole album in one month. And that, you know, you can kind of hear that on the whole thing. It got that, you know, falling down a hillside over the top 80s kind of feel. And I, I think that's a bit important. There's too much, you know, time being used in studios. A band go in and like, spend one year making a death metal album or fuck, fucking <laughs> shit you can't do that <laughs> yeah i think i think uh somebody that has the the discography that you do 
between all of your projects. If you were spending that much time on every project, you'd be like 3,000 years old right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can end them. Yeah. I, think- I, li- I like just going in two, three weeks, bang, and out. And then you can listen to it afterwards. Then you get to know your album, actually, when you finish it, because you don't, you don't know what you've been doing. You're just like in this vortex of creativity, and boom, it's over. And you're like, oh, okay, here, I got this album. And you can sit down and actually enjoy the album. And it's, it's a different perspective than when you've been like thread, threading the waters for like one year. And before that, you maybe spent two years making the albums. You're, you're into your third year with these songs. You know, that's, I think that's way too long. You get yeah. lost. We have done that with earlier albums and we got completely lost in it. You know, we spent thousands and thousands of dollars just doing stupid shit. Like we mixed an album with headsets. You know, that's the dumbest stuff you could ever do. You can't mix. mix. Everyone was, was sitting in the studio, four guys and the engineer, everyone with a headset, and we mixed the whole album. Of course, it sounded beautiful. When it took off the headset and you came home, it's like, what the fuck? This sounds like it's inside a cardboard box. <laughs> sure. I, I think that there's a really interesting thing that has happened over the past couple of decades. Um, and metal has had like a really unfortunate side effect or they've suffered side effects of it. And it's just like the increased access to technology and production and all of these cool, fancy plugins and all of this stuff that you can do. And I mean, sure that stuff is great, but maybe not for every genre of music, you know, like it seems like so many modern metal albums are being produced like a pop album and that's fine. Like if you, I, Pop music should be perfect and analyzed and picked with a fine tooth comb. That's kind of the point of it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. for like metal or punk, it's like, why, why does the double bass need to be quantized? Why does everything have to be perfect? <laughs> like this is, you know, like, you know, and I've said this before when talking with people about this, but it's like, I don't want my metal music to sound like electronic music. I mean, it's cool if you blend it. Like, I like when, like, you have, like, industrial elements and metal and people do cool stuff. But I still like that rawness. Like, I don't need it to all be perfect. And now everything sounds so sterile and everything looks the same. And it's kind of, like, not too dissimilar. The way I feel now is probably similar to how you felt as a kid pre-D Snyder. Like, I'm just waiting for that next big thing to happen with metal. And, like, I don't know what it is. No, I think that you're completely right there. I, I try as good as I can, but it's really hard. But I try to tell everyone that you need to back away from all the plugins and all the goddamn equipment. Um, I can guarantee you, if you took Slayer today and you gave them to me and I take them out here in the woods where I live and we spend four weeks in a crap studio with a little crap equipment and some beers and just some good old time, that album would be cooler than anything they've done since Season of the Abyss. I'm, I guarantee you. Because that shit has got completely lost. Listen to Metallica, you know, it's it's too much it's too much money, it's too much equipment. It's oh my guitar is like a seventy thousand dollar who the fuck cares? Get your old crappy, you know, Gibson V guitar with some, you know, riff raff stuff on, you know. It sounds better. It just yeah. sounds better. For for most things, I understand that some bands like, for example, like Demi Borger and stuff, or Behemoth, or those kinds of bands, they want to use you know real equipment like to get that big ass productions going and stuff like that. But I really like the, that kind of Isengard approach, Dark Zone approach, where you have like you have one microphone hanging, 
and that's your drum track. Done with it. And you record those drums in two days and fuck it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, and I understand that Mashuga can't do that because Mashuga is <laughs> like, I don't know, it's like 10 Japanese kids playing at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for, for the most part, I think that's a problem with a lot of the black metal bands. You know, I'm not going to mention a bunch of names because these are friends and stuff like that. But I think a lot of the black metal bands that are really big, they need to go a couple of tracks back and stop thinking about how, I don't know, how jazzy is all this shit going to be. I'm tired of the jazz shit. It's been going on for 25 years. Sure, I, <laughs> I really want some. If if it comes, if like black metal, I want black metal to smell of snow and woods and fucking Satan. I want death metal to like stink up like a gory fucking whore. You know, I want it to be real again. You know, this it's all like I'm seeing everything through glass. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just me because I live far the fuck out in the woods and I, I don't really hang a lot out with the scene or anything, but I, I observe a lot. I listen to, I get every day, like 10 people sending me their album, check out my album. And there, there is a lot of cool stuff too. But I think the big problem is I heard Ishan talked about this here the other day on a podcast on Banger TV that it, again, we're back to that package thing, you know, you need to think about your concept, you know, who are who are we? What kind of band are we? You need to figure that shit out first, because there's a lot of band where you have one goth guy, two death metal guys, and one dude who suddenly want to use like full out corpse paint and stuff. And then you have a goth girl singing with some cyber shit on it. Like, what kind of band are you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, even there, there you have to start there. Then you have to figure out, you know, what concept are we going to do here? If you're going to do a black metal concept, which has a really high grade of, you know, the way people look at shit, then you have to, you're going to do black metal? Think it through, you know? It, it's so many bands. That you, I got to do a little there, and you can you can hear on the albums. It's like, here's a Dark Throne song, and here's a Emperor song. Here's the dissection song, and it's like, come on, make it. The reason why some of these old albums sound really cool, and that goes for all kind of metal albums, is that the band was into one package. You know, it didn't necessarily just start with like, oh, we're gonna have something about this is about nuclear war, and we're gonna have medieval shit, and you, you can't mix that stuff up. <laughs> I feel, you know, I like full-on albums. You know, the full concept is it gonna be medieval. Let it be medieval, like Skyclad or. It was Sabbath from from the UK, you know, it's like do it properly. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And a lot of those new bands is like like it's just a scattering of all kinds of. I know they're inspired, but figure out what you're inspired by and what your package is going to be. I think that it's really hard to focus and take the time to figure out those things now for some people because yeah. of the internet. Everybody feels like they're in a rush. There's no longer this like, oh, we can get lost in the practice space for months. Everybody feels like, oh, we need to be ready to go because we can play this show. We want to go on tour. Everybody wants to do everything before actually writing the fucking songs. Like nobody wants to take the time to do that. Everybody wants to be on the stage. Yeah, you see a lot of those people who's like, well, we made this song five minutes ago and boom, there's a little snippet of it on Facebook. And you're like, what? I don't really get that stuff because when I, at least the first albums I started making, 
we spent a lot of time, you know, figuring out the feeling and where we were going and all that kind of stuff before. And when actually when we released the album, because this was before the Internet, we had no idea what was going to happen. The old black metal albums, we released them for ourselves, just for ourselves, for the feeling we wanted to create. And especially with Gehenna, we, we really, really just wanted to make dark music for ourselves. We didn't even want to call it black metal. Because it was like, ah, not really. If you look at Gehenna, it's one of those black metal bands who doesn't really go all Gargoroth out with the spikes and sure. inverted crosses. Because it was like, hey, we're going to make this dark medieval kind of music. And the feeling we had from making that stuff, it, it wasn't like, oh, we met two times a week and we recorded an album. We met every day of the week after school or work. We just met, we had this big woods, we just hung out in the woods, having big bonfires. We were eating there, drinking there, going down, having some rehearsals, going up again, using soot from the fireplace as makeup, because none of us could afford <laughs> any makeup, whatever. So we just used that instead. But when you do that for a couple of years, you get so well to know your guys. It's like, it's like almost an army thing. And then when you're on stage later and you're all full of makeup and you have these songs that you've been playing for two years while you've been drinking blood in the woods, it may sound silly, man, but you feel completely possessed when you're on stage when you're doing that shit. You know, it's just like it boils through you and that that stuff is gone. And I understand because you can't have a bunch of 40, 50 year olds running around in the forest doing that shit now because I'm just going to look all pedophile and weird. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know. I think the young guys, you know, get the fuck out of your room, get away from the internet and throw your phone away for five minutes and just hang out. Yeah. Like, yeah, I grew up in the suburbs, you know, we used to hang out at the gas station or wherever, you know, where the train came in and stuff. We, we, we were just hanging out, listening to music, talking to music or talking about music. And like, I grew up like right next to where Mayhem and Dark Throne were doing their shit. And I worked at a gas station together with Sefris, the guitarist from Dark Throne. And I was like three, four years younger. So hanging out with those guys, the few times they like bothered to talk to us <laughs> was really cool. You know, I remember coming to them with like, oh, Alters of Madness, you know. Oh, and I got the back patch from Alters of Madness. And uh, Ivar Sefris, he was looking at me and he was like going full on into the black metal thing. And he was like, no, nah, that ain't good enough. It's not evil enough. I was like, no, fuck. <laughs> I was so disappointed. So I was like, yes, now I'm, I'm on their level now. I was like, nope, <laughs> you're not. Here's this thing. And then he explained, you know, the whole thing with Mayhem and blah, 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 and all kinds of bands and stuff. And it's really inspiring, though. Yeah. A little silly. <laughs> there, I know that there, there's been, like, you know, obviously you're very aware of how, like, romanticized – black metal culture has become over the past couple of decades and like you know like it's it's really interesting because like you know when i was you know first finding out about bands like dark throne and emperor and satiricon like all that stuff i was maybe like 13 14 there's a really cool record store here where i live that carried all that stuff so i was able to like you know it would basically just be like what new cd came in what's on like nuclear blast or some other label that i recognize and let me get that you know that that's just how that's how i had to buy music so you know but i was so disconnected from all of the like culture of black metal 
and all of that stuff. And I didn't really start to hear about any of that stuff until years later in the internet. And you start hearing about things and seeing documentaries and all that stuff. What was yeah. it like growing up in that and then realizing that like, you know, people look at like black metal culture in Norway with this like real, like romantic ma- magical sort of thing. It's really weird. We, we to tell you like this, we had, or I say we, as if I am may- mayhem and Darthorn. I'm not. I'm like a couple of years behind there, but still, I was like from that bunch with Ulver and Emperor and all that stuff, and none of us had any idea. And if we had an idea, we probably wouldn't have done it <laughs> because <laughs> this was <laughs> this this wasn't what we were thinking about this growing into, you know. And I really the rem- for me what's like dark romantic with this whole thing was when this was a small community of a couple of thousand people worldwide you know and you did it for them you did it for yourself that was where the magic was yeah and when it even like in the like we went on tour with satiricon in 96 even around then it was weird to see how the whole thing was like gearing up and nuclear blast was coming in from the side and Peace Will was finally recognizing that, oh, fuck, we got Dark Throne, man. Because Peace Will was, it took a little time before they understood what they had there, you know. Yeah. With Dark Throne going from Soulside Journey to the place in the Northern Sky, it's like, what the fuck did mm-hmm. we just use 10,000 pounds on, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it paid it paid back. But it's, it's really weird now. I've, I'm like just kind of like small piece in the whole thing. So I have to, I'm running my whole thing. So I have to use Facebook and all these disgusting things and just looking at people. And I don't really post a lot and talk a lot, but I observe a lot and it's really weird, you know, but all the 10 million Elizabeth Bathory booby girls, you know, and <laughs> yeah. holy shit. Where, where did it come from? It's like a giant social experiment, actually uh-huh. looking at this whole thing because nothing as radical as this has ever happened since heavy metal started, you know? Yeah. And, it- uh, if you combine the 70s and the 80s of heavy metal, I don't know if that had just as radical twist as this does because the last 20 years, it's it's extreme music. If you take everything from Slipknot to black metal and everything in between, it's gigantic. Yeah. It's in yeah, it's enormous. And of course, the, the, you know, the mainstream music industry just ignores it completely and just jerks off Rihanna and stuff like that. But... It's it's enormous, you know, and it never gets recognized, you know. It's it's, it's it, kind of nice that it doesn't get recognized. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then we're still doing something right. Mm-hmm. I think that it's interesting, you know, again, being, you know, like that, you know, 13, 14 year old kid. I think that like that my whole I remember exposure to finding out about something was in like a major music publication and they had a small write up about cradle of filth and they called them the worst band ever. And it, (laughs) and it made me want to listen to it and I heard it and I had never heard anything like that. And it just like opened up the floodgates for me. I was like, Holy shit. And like, like why, like, you know, and I tried to show my friends this stuff and it was just like way too much. Like I went from like <laughs> yeah. zero to 60. Cause like I had some friends that were like, it kind of went from like, like that Slipknot and things like that were kind of starting to happen at that time. Corn bands like that. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, check out Demu Borgir. And everybody's <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? You know? So I kind of <laughs> fell out of like 
I mean, I didn't lose friends or anything, but it was like hard to find people to connect with about like showing this stuff too. But it is huge, even if like it is like a Cradle of Filth or a Slipknot or whatever. Like these are all very, very large bands that it's interesting how under the surface they still operate. It's probably not too dissimilar from like horror movies and horror movies being some of the hugest money making things in the world, but they still kind of get shafted a lot when it comes to, you know critical acclaim but also we don't necessarily want that acclaim i kind of want people to leave me alone i like having my own little my own little bubble yeah, yeah it's th- that's when it's weird when it, like when the inferno festival is in oslo and it, we go into town and you have black packers you know you have actual people who's bought like this black packer tour thing with a tour bus and going to the church burning places and everything is like it's really weird and commercialized and not to offend you, but a little Americanized. Sure. You know, no, totally. you start like bringing in backpackers to do that. I, I liked when it was weird when people just went, what the fuck are you? It's like, yes. Beautiful. Now my mom knows what everything is. You know? Sure. Sure. There, there's like, it's weird when, you know, I imagine maybe you have conversations with some people that you know may be super into the culture and that's cool hobbies are cool having interests is great yeah. but there's probably people that you know live closer to me that are you know americans that know 10 times more about what's going on around you than even you know you're like how the fuck do you know all this stuff <laughs> it's really weird you know it's, it's like a little i don't know soap opera thing that kind of moves around all the time and says yeah. i know like both sides i both talk a lot to the fans and i know a lot of the people from the business it kind of it's kind of weird how like rumors you know erupt and you know he's been doing this and you've been doing that and didn't you kill this and murder <laughs> that and it's like no it's way way out of context you know sure. of course there's there, there was some bad shit you know but and, and a lot of people expect that we still do that. And I, I had people who got really pissed off and came into the tour bus. We were doing a tour with Balsago and Emperor. And we had this, some guys from Italy coming in there. And they were, like, devastated because we weren't doing black rights. And, you know, we weren't doing the whole <laughs> Satan affair, you know. Yeah. It was like, no, not really. You know, we've been on tour now for two weeks. You know, we're- man, we just... We're, we're just we're watching too- <laughs> Mr. Bean, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that is always, like, an interesting thing. And I had realized it pretty young, actually, because I started going to a lot of shows. There was a venue not too far from my house where I ended up getting to see, like, Cradle of Filth and getting to see bands like Nevermore. And I saw Demu Borgir there. I saw, uh, you know, I could keep, like, a lot of really cool bands were coming through at the time, and I got to see a lot of these bands. But, you know, being around, like, the people at the merch tables, because I would always be, like, that nerdy little kid that wants to talk to whoever's from the band and, like, (laughs) ask them what they're listening to. And it was always very common, like, oh, we're not, I didn't hear that new metal album. We're listening to, like, this, or we're just watching movies like it really normalized everybody and i like realized it really young that like even though they're this thing on stage it's you know it's a show and like they are those people but also like hey you know i don't like listening to extreme music 24 7 and doing crazy things i also like to watch mr bean and just play video games and eat potato (laughs) chips and hang out like we're all human (laughs) of course people who get that thing completely and you know and I, actually, I think it's important what you said there. The kid that's hanging out, you know, 
an hour after the show around like the merch stand just to talk to someone or get a signed album and stuff that's that's where like metal differs from a lot of other kind of music because if you go to a pop show and when britney spears is finished everyone just walks off home and don't give a fuck you know at the metal shows if you hang out and a lot of people like to hang out suddenly bruce dickinson is coming out you know and just having a beer and having a talk I met Dio like that, and a, a lot of people, you know, just hanging out at places, and that that gives you that community feeling. And especially when you're very young and you do that stuff, it becomes like almost father figure kind of things, you know. And some dude from Iron Maiden or some Megadeth or something stopped and actually talked to you like a person, you know. Hey, dude, you know, those you can live forever, you know, on a little hey, dude from David Mustaine. When he looks at you with his <laughs> he's he's kind of down here and going like hey dude with his rat eyes Uh you're like just melting inside and just like oh dude those kind of things and i try to remember that when i go out and play you know and i I keep forgetting that i'm getting older so i keep meeting people who grew up on my music and that's kind of weird so i try to you know remember and not to kind of like again not to mention names and stuff but i have a lot of friends who don't give a fuck you know I think that's kind of like, you know, you give them like, hey, here's some interviews from some like small magazines and stuff. And they kind of just ah, fuck that and they throw it away. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. I think that's really, you know, just annoying. And yeah. there's like, there's this guy who's been waiting for two hours, you know, he's got a bag full of albums. You want to go and sign them? No, tell him to fuck off. You, fuck, man. <laughs> you yeah. know, your younger, your younger self is puking inside, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, when you're doing that it's it's strange you know i wonder sometimes like i've definitely met some musicians and played you know shared backstage areas with bands where it's like do you enjoy this like why yeah. like what is, i mean i understand everybody has bad days i've had bad yeah. days on tour i'm sure you have it happens you get exhausted sometimes you just want to be left the fuck alone again we're yeah. only human <laughs> but like there's like a difference between like being able to tell when somebody just wants to be left alone and just like an overall aura like this energy of like i couldn't care less yeah you have this oozing this oozing feeling that comes and i I noticed a lot of that when i, I in oslo i had like for 10 years i worked at like the biggest venue in norway uh, which has about 10,000 10, people indoors. and But the funny thing was that we had like Britney Spears one day, then we had Willie Nelson another day, then we had Iron Maiden, you know. So you, you, you just like in a week you're going through like at least like four or five really, really famous people. And then you notice this aura, you know. Like Elton John, who worked for Elton John three times. He had the worst fucking aura ever. Really? It's like, what are you what are you doing this for? You know, I know there's money in this. There's a lot of money, but dude, you can't go around just being like this cactus. You know, it's it's horrible. Mm-hmm. And then you meet a dude like Willie Nelson, and he was really cool, and he had joints, and everyone was smoking and talking. He had his yeah, Willie Nelson had his aunt with him. His aunt, <laughs> Willie Nelson, is five thousand nine hundred years old, <laughs> and then he has his aunt with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she was playing pump organ on two songs mm-hmm. and you had like the, the whole uh, you know the back line and everything here and the band was out there playing to the audience and on the back side here they had this big ass you know gaffer taped old pump organ that this 90 year old woman was playing on and when she didn't play she was sitting in the green room smoking joints that you know bob marley would be envious of <laughs> i wonder if- that 
<laughs> I wonder if there's like a thing maybe. I find that, you know, you mentioned earlier playing a set um, and like seeing like a young couple crying, right? Yeah. And being able to see the audience. I think sometimes maybe it's a thing where some artists, maybe they start playing a place that's so big they where they can't even see the audience because you're like, you know, crazy lights or you're not facing the crowd or you're whatever like you get lost in this world where you actually become disconnected from the people like in the moment and like you just yeah. you, like you kind of forget what it's like to have that and that happens for I, a certain heard, amount of time uh, and you know people I heard, Bill, I heard billy joel was talking about that here the other day uh, because billy joel is not playing at all he's like just He's just not playing, hasn't done it for years. And he said that he was just the distance between him and the audience playing in like these big ass arenas. He was missing like the, the real piano man thing, you know, yeah. playing in front of 200 people you know, when it stinks of beer and whiskey in a little like damp little place, you know. And I can understand that. And like, like, like I mentioned earlier, Elton John acted like an asshole. Well, he's been playing arenas since 1973 or something. He doesn't have any connection at all. Yeah. You know, so, and that happens probably with, but Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and those bands, and of course, you know, Slayer and stuff, they're good at, you know, communicating with their audience Mm -hmm. when you're on stage because you can be at a big festival and you can have a pit that is like 50 feet wide, you know, but still, you can make people feel that you're almost like right next to them. Mm -hmm. And some of these guys are really good at doing that kind of stuff. Well, I think that. You know, bands like Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, you know, I think that they're very well aware that the reason why they got where they were was because of community and because of like tape trading and all of that cool old school shit, right? Elton John didn't get big from tape trading or some like underground community, (laughs) you know? It was all, it was all like you know, radio darling from the start, pretty much. I mean, I don't know his fucking back, his biography or anything, but like, I imagine it was a much different thing from the jump. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's, like, we keep forgetting this, but like the new Wobbin scene and that whole thing there, mm. like, they they got their whole tape trading kind of antics. They got that from the punk punk scene and that's we, we need to thank the punk scene for that because they taught everyone to do it yourself way you know record yourself don't give a shit if it's bad sound tape trade magazines fix your outfits on stage all that stuff that comes from punk and you know because black sabbath wasn't doing tape trading either man oh yeah for <laughs> sure for sure <laughs> it's it's it's, I don't know, it's manager tape tradings. And, you know, so you have some of those 70s things. When you have a dude who's like, I have, I have six bands in my stable and here we are, they demo tapes, you know, that kind of thing. But the, the real, like, nitty-gritty stuff, that comes from the punk. And then New Wobbum, you know, was just the same thing. It's worker boys from shitty town. just like, can't afford every, anything, but here's a tape. And you can listen to Samson and Iron Maiden on this tape and that just blew people's mind you know and that just got adapted again into i don't know a little bit into the glam metal but glam metal was more was more kind of flyer based if you know what i mean like oh sure a bunch of a bunch of hairy dudes running around la just like we have nine thousand poison things (laughs) going like that you know but but (laughs) thrash metal again picked up that tape trading you know underground magazine thing and just then it evolved to the death and i think that's beautiful that's like 
kind of dirty thing that keeps growing there. You know, I still, I still do them. I do, I don't know, two or three times a week. I do like underground magazines. I did one for Peru here the other day, you know, stuff like that. I think it's cool. It's weird ass questions. And maybe we have like 200 people reading it. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least that's communicating, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really easy sometimes to get disconnected as from like yeah. the impact that you're making, you know, especially with the way that the internet is. And if you feel like, oh, I posted something and it didn't get hundreds of likes, nobody cares. It's like the fact that you even said anything and a hundred people gave a shit about it is remarkable. Yep. don't take what you have for granted you know like sometimes like i'll upload an episode of this podcast and like you know it has a few hundred hits and i'm like oh that's not a lot compared to maybe this very popular podcast it gets tens of thousands but still the fact that 500 people give a fuck what i want to say about anything's fantastic (laughs) (laughs) then we have a little community going there you know there is a little thing going and it kind of i think that's more it's more charming it's much more honest and heartfelt and real people are talking about real all the time you know that's real you know when you're sure. kind of in those little communities and stuff little fan clubs with 400 people so that's cool mm-hmm. i think that's cool yeah i've always you know sometimes you like the dreams that i had like when i was a kid in my room with a tennis racket pretend to be pretending to be steve harris right like <laughs> what that has evolved into sometimes when i really think about it is more of a nightmare thinking yeah. about like being in that position <laughs> Uh, I mean, it would be great for, you know, the, you know, the hour and a half, two hours that you're on stage, but everything else that goes with it, I don't know if I personally could even handle that sort of a lifestyle. Maybe it's just because like I've kind of got set in my ways now over the course of my three decades of life, you know, it might be a little bit more harder for me to adapt into something now as versus like me being like 18 and getting started and you're all over the fucking place go go for it you know but uh i don't know i like I, to i think I, I think you would be engulfed by it like anyone else you yeah think most most of us don't deal with it really well that's why 95 <laughs> percent of everyone i know in this scene either if you're a roadie or if you're you know a dude in a band you got some kind of mental problems and drug problems or drinking problems or some kind of fucked up problem with people around you and yourself because it's hard to deal with that whole thing and you have all these feelings and yeah creative people have a lot of feelings that's a little part of being creative so you're being constantly like eaten by the vampires of this planet that's why i feel when i go on tour i don't mind the fans i don't mind playing live i think that's awesome but I hate that whole vamp- vampiric feeling of like getting everything fixed, all the the money things, the traveling, the meeting the fucked up people of this planet. You don't really just want to be next to on the plane, and you know all that stuff just drains me. And I I had to take a little stand some years ago around 2005, and I've taken almost 15 years pause from the whole live thing where I, I only play like festivals and some selected gigs here and there because if you put me on a tour bus for six weeks i'm gonna just drink morphine from a bottle man <laughs> yeah th- and in terms of just that that lifestyle that's the thing that really really 
has bothered me as I've just gotten a little bit older and I've kind of gotten my shit together. Not that it's completely together, but I appreciate my my time and my space away from things. And I appreciate just like not being around a bunch of fuck ups anymore. It's a lot different. Like when I was, you know, in my 20s, it was fucking awesome. It was the shit. But now, like, I'm just like not into it. And it's kind of like exhausting at times being around people that like still think this is a party and still think tour is vacation and all that shit. Like I'm, it's exhausting. Yeah, I'm steering completely away from that too. I mean, it <laughs> destroys me, you know. To, and I don't really understand why people do it for that long either, because it normally just fucks you up, and you play worse, and everything gets worse, and tours gets worse. You know, normally when you go on tour, half the tour just want to chill, and half the tour just want to party, and that's that's a big problem sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I- I don't know. It's it's something about the whole thing. It's always going to be like this in the music scene, in the you know, in that whole thing. But a lot of fans don't really think about it and get pissed because it's like, ah, why don't you go on tour? Why don't you do this and that? And it's like, nah. But it's, it's not personal. It's just really hard to get through those things. People think it's a vacation, but it's really not at all. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see a lot of places and things and stuff like that, but. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's people, you know, it's always people. It comes down to people, <laughs> no matter what it is. It always comes down to people. And Yeah, I think that maybe sometimes, like, kind of ro- going back to thinking of, like, why some people maybe don't give a shit about fans and whatnot, I think I've definitely known people that are just in bands for everything but the band. Like, they're on stage and they play, and it's like they're clocked in. Like, they're doing, yeah. you know, they'll play their set, but whatever, it's all about, you know, the booze, the girls, seeing places, whatever. I don't give a shit about the band. And that, like, yeah. can, like, really leak out into, like, you know, re- being really toxic. And it sucks whenever, like, you look up to a band or, you like, you know, you have a friend in a band and you realize that, like, that's what's going on. You're like, oh, man, thought you were one of us. You're not. Yeah, that's something it, different. It destroys the band. Every, I played with people like that several times. And it destroys the band like a cancer from the inside. When I have that thing and they, they start, even they're playing, you know, you need to play with someone who is inspired, you know, not inspired because you want to go fuck some 19 year old chick on the side or do your drugs or whatever. You have to, you know, music has to be the one and first thing. Yeah. And if, if, if it's not that, that's, it's no point anymore. And you have all these bands which will go around like clockwork and you can see some of the tours, like the, the this packaging tours where the same bands play together with each other for years and years and years. It's really weird, you know, why is Lamb of God playing together with Slayer for six years in a row? In a row? Yeah. I think it's really weird. And it's the same show and it's the same thing. And I know Creator does the same thing. And no offense to Miller because he's made some fucking awesome music. But what I've seen from what they're doing now is just like this machine-like thing. He's saying the same thing between the same songs at different places you know it's just yeah. a routine saying and doing it's like what's the point then yeah it must even Lemmy loved doing this you know Lemmy did different shit on every he didn't really do much but you know he said different shit he like adapted the show for those fans at that place you know mm-hmm. that's uh, I don't know but it's money of course too for a lot of these people I think that's what destroyed Slayer too from what I've heard is that it was just about the money at the end there you know it's just like yeah, everyone is traveling in their own bus, and 
Oh, as I, as I said earlier, back to, you know, people should go back to those early days when everything was a little more shitty. <laughs> because it just makes better brotherhood and everything, you know, when you kind of have to struggle a little. I yeah. think metal is about struggling a little too, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, listen up, bands. Maybe if you didn't have to go and buy, you know, $25,000 worth of fucking Kempers and all this ant profiler bullshit to take on the road, you wouldn't be sweating making so much money when you play shows to fucking 40 people all, all the damn time. Like, play yeah, within exactly. your means. Like, you know, I think that it's it's so weird and just like, you were made the joke earlier about like people having like a real expensive guitar and things like that. And like, it's like, I see that <laughs> shit too. It's, it's not necessary. You know, nope. like, what fucking version of Pro Tools was Rust in Peace recorded on? not it wasn't you don't fucking need any of that stuff and that's like the best goddamn sounding album one of the best i've ever fucking heard yeah, in my life that's like the peak of like production because that album is overproduced but it's still yeah, sweet you know yeah, but it's it's it's, like it's tight trash, it's tight kind of it's real tight US trash dream kind of just taken to that perfect kind of point uh-huh. i love that album i love the sound i love everything on it but it's it's organic you know this is microphones that has been put up in front of the drums uh-huh. there's no trigger shit going on when they mixed it you do it like in the old days you're sitting three four guys in front of the mixer with 24 tracks this guy is doing those five ones this guy is doing this and you know you can go really old school. We did some albums like that, and it's really fun. Everyone's got their little thing. Oh, you have to remember, you know, the reverb is coming in on the solo, and you're doing it completely organic, and that makes every song a little different. It's not like now where there's the exact same mix on every every track because you just record the tracks after one, and you just have, yeah, like, oh, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Uh, it, it's just it takes away that organic feeling, you know, mm-hmm. and if you listen to old Iron Maiden albums or whatever old metal album, it kind of moves, you know, it's like a little ocean. It's not the same sound on every track. Yeah. I think that there's, um, I, I, I don't know. I think like there's just something that happened and I guess we could probably blame, you know, new metal in America in general, which, you know, usually we're to blame, for, we're to blame for pretty much everything. <laughs> but, um, you know, where like, you know, that whole like Ross Robinson, Roadrunner Records sort of like boom happened and everything got like, you know, like your fear factories and shit like that, like really pushed production and people and those bands got pretty big. They got, you know, a lot yeah. bigger than other metal bands. So people were like, oh, this is what metal is supposed to sound like. Metal is supposed to sound like a slipknot, which I mean, Ross Robinson did a fairly okay job at trying to keep things raw, but everything's still like compressed to all hell. So you're like getting that, you know, loudness war sort of thing going on. And now everything has to be loud. Everything has to be tight. Everything has to be this and that, you know, it's not like you can't can't have your own i feel like bands are afraid to have their own like sound and their own voice because they're more concerned with like getting on some spotify playlist and if it doesn't fit the the playlists feel then they're not gonna get listeners because that's what it's all about now it's no longer about like you know hoping that a someone from a label is going to see your band in some smoky bar. It's about like hoping that you have this package that's presentable enough that some like, you know, idiot 
in Brooklyn that has a Spotify playlist with a million <laughs> listeners will put it on, you know, their fucking thing, you know. I, I don't know. It's it I'm Yeah, and, it and they sucks. do they a little bit of the problem too is that people go and they pay for this, you know, famous studios with famous producers. And those dudes and those studios have one specific sound. And they love to use that same fucking equipment on every band in the same way. Yeah. And you can hear that on some, you know, on some, even some labels, you can hear that. Oh, you know, sure. The, the sound is the same. There's been some years, with, especially with Nuclear Blast, when it was like, is everything just being grinded to the same grinder? You know, it's oh, just, sure. It's same exact sound. And I even hear, I hear this now, even, you know, like the, the latest uh, Possessed album. The songs are great, and I'm sure they're like gunning for it completely, but the whole production is, it's so mastered flat and dead and without any hills and bottoms and tops and peaks uh, it's horrible after three four songs i just i have to turn this shit off it's just it's eating my brain instead mm-hmm. of enjoying it yeah and that's not because of possessed that's because of the studio and the production team and <laughs> everyone is whispering them in the ears oh you should do this you do that use this jackson guitar who's it costs like ten thousand dollars. Use this amp. Oh, it's sure. just blah 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 blah. And in here you can have like this plug-in. You get the same sound as Exodus used for seven albums during the millennia, after the millennia, uh-huh. and stuff like that. You know, it's it's a cool sound, but everyone can't use it. It's like when Panthera came and everyone was doing. Yeah, it's like yeah, that that yeah. Everyone can't do the same shit. They changed it. changed a lot. And when I'm like thinking. You know, uh, I, you know, the metal band that I'm playing and now, um, we have like, you know, a pretty heavy, like, uh, like dark tranquility at the gates sort of influence thing. But like, you know, bands like that, like at the gates has only released several albums, but there are like 10,000 albums that sound like at the gates as a result of the production (laughs) team and all of that stuff. And it's like, you know, I try so hard to be like, okay, like I love this stuff and I love that we're doing this, but like, we need to try really, really hard to do our own thing here because like, I don't need to make a shitty version of an album that I love. Like that's like rude. (laughs) Why would I want to invent it yourself? You have to reinvent it some way. You have Uh to reinvent it no matter what band you're like inspired by. Uh But it's true. Like after slaughter of the soul and you know, the big at the gates thing, it was horrible. You had a ton of bands actually at the same time doing the Pantera thing, machine head thing and at the gates thing. Uh uh, Oh, it's, it's, it's so bad. Uh, What's the point of trying to be the new Pantera? That's there's no point at all. You know, first you need to find a new fill. You can't ever find a new fill ever. You know, yeah. you can't find that dude fucking <laughs> searching hell for him. You know, and then you got you know the brothers and the, you know you can't like recreate that. And I had so many friends who were going like down this plank of Pantera kind of sounding stuff and just like, <clears throat> and they're gone from the old music scene because they. They they so wished to be like that, and their dreams was just like completely crushed because you know at least here in Europe black metal came and ate mm-hmm. everything up instead. You know the, the thing that I think people don't realize sometimes you know is like sure like if you take like a band like Pantera you know they were composition wise simple songs 
but like all those motherfuckers grew up in studios and they had like this yeah. like you know lifelong connection with each other and playing together and you get that sort of thing like metallica has it too where like there's yeah. that like that off sort of groove where they can kind of get behind the beat but they're always locked in and like you you don't get that just by like forcing yourself to have it like you know you got to grow up with some motherfuckers and create this thing <laughs> yeah. that's the only way you get that sound that's that's why all the debut albums sound so fucking good because they're normally recorded with your friends from the last five years from school you know stuff like that and you're all kind of like putting down all the dreams you had since you were born till yeah. that point and then comes that second album and that's like going with a shotgun just <laughs> that's where like 70 percent of all the bands just fuck off because <laughs> uh-huh. And because they forget that kind of stuff, you know, that, you know, that brotherhood kind of thing that, I don't know, it's really important for uh, for playing in a band. And, uh, you know, I, I love Pantera. I think Pantera is really good. When it came, I was very skeptical and it took some years before I kind of took it in. But the musicianship, the the will to kind of execute that they have. Very few bands have that. Yeah. And like <laughs> very, very few bands have that. If you meet those or if you saw some of their shows when after they kind of turned that cowboy from hell switch, you know, it's like, dude, oh, yeah. you're gonna be god born if you're gonna do that stuff, you know, yeah. better. I saw them I believe I saw them they either opened for Ozzy or Black Sabbath here. And yeah. it was a huge show. And it's just like thinking looking back on it now all this hindsight thinking about you know nobody else was doing anything like that at the time which no, no, isn't they remarkable created that whole thing they, yeah. they are the reason for new metal for machine type metal you know they are the reason and for all of that it uh, blew you know up huge huge like like i said i saw them with either ozzy or black sabbath i can't remember which one but either one is a fantastic <laughs> person to be you know playing a stadium tour with especially if you're just like you know some young fucking assholes from texas just doing this yeah. wild new shit like but people fucking <laughs> loved it yeah the, so the, wild uh, all, all the bands that came out of that like crowbar and you know Everyone wanted, you know, to to do that properly. You know, they, they thought everyone was like, "Oh, yeah, you think you can riff? Listen to this shit." You know, uh-huh. then you said, oh, "Okay, well, well, there was a billion guitarist, you know, when Pantera came out with Cowboys from Hell that just like put down the axe and just, "Okay, I'm fucking out of here." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like you know, it's like you have either like that was probably I think like what um, Cowboys from Hell that would have been like ninety or ninety one somewhere around there that's like probably around the same time so my dad was uh and still is like a metalhead and i I found out about so much stuff through my dad so it was it would always be like you know maiden or metallica but i also remember that era being real weird because i had shit like pantera that i was hearing which i never heard anything like that and then on the flip i was hearing stuff like dream theater which is like yeah. the polar fucking opposite. It's like none of this is Iron Maiden. We've gone in like two different extremes. But it was it was really cool looking back on it and seeing all of this stuff start to bubble. But like in the time, you know, my little kid brain was like, whoa, like just 
every, every it, it was like that in all the all the different uh, genres and stuff. I think around 1990, 1991. That's where everything branches off. That's where grunge music came in mm-hmm. from the side and butt fucked everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's where black metal really reacted and started going. That's where death metal was at its peak. You know, around between 90 or like say 89, 91. Yeah. And thrash metal was dying, heavy metal was dying, new metal was coming up. It was, it's like this giant, you know, crossroads for heavy metal around those days. And you can see it if you watch. Um, I don't, I don't have linear TV, so I don't watch TV apart from the news. So I just use YouTube and I, I collect a whole kind of stuff. So I have like still Headbangers Ball going on on TV. And I was watching here the other day, like Monsters of Rock concerts from uh, the UK. And how it really changes, because I was watching the show from 1990, and then comes 92, with Pantera and Skid Row dying. And by the time it's 1995, you can see how everything has changed, like monumentally changed. Yeah. And Iron Maiden looks unsure of themselves, and it's it's Uh. really weird, the whole thing, you know, and... And in 1991, everyone was like, woohoo, and Black Lawless yeah. was like tip-tapping around on stage, and the year after, it's like Pantera, and it's like, there it went. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's really, really fun uh, talking with people that aren't aware of that like mid to late 90s era Iron Maiden and what happened. uh and uh because i i do have some friends that are like you know most people that i know are just know like you know those those core bruce albums like i've like known people like a friend of mine kelly uh she we were we were hanging out and she had talked about how like she's like i don't like iron maiden and i always get like shit on for it i just don't like them and i'm always like do you ever hear the their first two albums and she was like i have no idea that there was stuff without Bruce and I was like you would probably like those albums just knowing the kind of stuff that you like personally and lo and behold she loved them she had no idea she just doesn't like the like metal opera sort of thing she liked the more like gritty stuff that they were doing back then imagine imagine that poor dude or dudette who's like the first album is the one with the what's his fucking name the the Wolfsbane dude the X Factor album. Oh, imagine that. Fuck. Imagine that being your first impression of Iron Maiden. You get X Factor, and you just want to go kill yourself. Yeah. And you never want to listen to it ever again. And it wouldn't. You would wouldn't understand the whole planet because the whole planet loves mm-hmm. Iron Maiden. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On on that tour, um, Iron Maiden played here on that tour in a venue that's like a a very very small venue like you know not like you know maybe yeah, here, a couple here, a couple thousand yep. cap venue and uh they played for two and a half thousand in oslo and it was horrible yeah. it was like oh man you shouldn't have done this and this like, is like this is painful like telling people about like yo like if you want to talk about like you know the the dark ages of metal iron maiden played at the metropole and people were like what when <laughs> <laughs> like like 1997 or eight or something i don't remember what year it was and they're like fuck and i'm like yeah because everybody was you know you know what other bands played there at that time probably like bands like uh like incubus or deftones or corn or system of a down like all that shit and they were packing the place you know yeah they were coming up you know yeah yeah it's funny just like that crossroads where like you know fuck so uh, it was but those times were horrible you know and you have that shit you have like 
people like Tommy Lee suddenly thinking, I'm going to make some hip-hop album. <laughs> Tommy, no one wanted it. Ever. Ever. <laughs> I don't think he even wanted it himself. He was just so confused. And Kid Rock was fucking his ex-wife. And he's like, ah, I have to make some hip-hop, man. It's like oh fuck what's going on and you, you like for me here in europe i'm buying metal hammer and kerrang magazines and i'm hoping to see a trace of some kind of life and there it, it isn't there's nothing it's 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 everything was just like dying for some years there and that's when it was really nice to come from the extreme metal scene because at least i can look into dark cupboards and there was some black metal there or some kind of weird dude making some foggy music alone in a room. I, I take that any day compared to that horrible stuff, you know, or Megadeth and watching what they were doing. And I don't know. I think maybe Judas Priest is the band who came best out of that, you know? Yeah. It's not that it's not Judas Priest. It's his own little thing, but at least they didn't kind of pussy out on the whole thing. They just, Okay. Yeah, yeah. I still feel like, you know, listening to uh, Firepower when they put that out a couple years yeah. ago now, I was like, this album rips. You know, it has yeah. it has the modern production and everything, but it sounds yeah, that, good. That's what, this, that's what destroys me with that album. It's like the yeah. songs are actually really cool and it's Jesus Priest, but it's got that, if you skip through it on your CD player, it's going to sound like you're starting the same song sure, 10 times sure. over, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, the saving grace on that album is honestly just Rob Halford's vocal performance. Yeah. He sounds Hell like yeah. a maniac, dude. <laughs> a total <laughs> maniac. Like the fucking Crypt there, Keeper. You know, it's like... I was so funny, and I just had to mention this. I was watching this whole Sebastian Bach, uh, Rob Halford thing that was going on online here the other day. Uh, did you see that? No. There was. I don't remember the channel. It's one of one of the metal channel things I okay. have on my YouTube, and yeah. there was three metal people, but a couple of them were comedians as well, and they had Sebastian on. And Sebastian is Sebastian, you know, he's all over the place. And they're talking about metal and stuff for about an hour. And then they start talking about Rob Halford. And, of course, Sebastian and Rob is friends. And then one of the comedians, someone, some of them says, like, eh, does it, you know, warm up his voice or anything? And then one of those comedian dudes managed to say to Sebastian that, yeah, he probably gargles, you know, semen. <laughs> <laughs> And you just, it's really weird to see, you see Sebastian just sitting there for a couple of minutes while it's dawning on him what this guy said about one of his best friends. And then he just goes off. And he's so fucking pissed. And you see this comedian metal guy just trying to retreat his tracks there. And like, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. And Sebastian is like, dude, that's my fucking friend. You don't fucking say that about my friend. Uh -huh. Going on like that. And then he actually turns off the, um, the camera, but he forgets to kind of log off. So for five minutes, you can hear Sebastian going around in his room. <laughs> While the three podcasters is just sitting there staring, just like, what the fuck's happening here? And they're like, Sebastian? Sebastian? Yeah. <laughs> Man. It's the weirdest thing I've seen ever. And then I saw straight after that, you know, Rob Alford, of course, he's just commented on the whole thing. And like he just looked at them, and because they told about the whole thing and Sebastian's reaction, and then they asked Rob on camera, like, "What do you think about this whole thing?" And Rob just went a little silent, and he looked at them and he said, "No, I'm a swallower." 
That's the only thing. Oh, fantastic. He kind of just grabbed three of them by the balls there, like a 65-year-old grown-up gay man, you know, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> fuck, yeah. Fucking views and things, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Way, way to have, like, you know, the most unapologetically masculine response yeah. to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was beautiful. Yeah, I don't give a shit what people do with their sex life. I do not care at all. And seeing him like, you know, doing that thing, just just kicking away the soapbox and just like, we're gonna put it on this level. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think it's beautiful. So that kind of that shows me that like, actually, both Sebastian and Rob is still like they got their roots fixed where they're supposed to be still. And that's really nice to see. Yeah. I imagine it's probably pretty cool, you know, seeing some of the people that maybe like you looked up to or that were like, you know, just doing it when you were getting started, seeing some of those people like still fucking out there, still doing it and still having those people to be like, Holy shit, you're still fucking here. Then I could be here. Yeah. Because I didn't ever think that 20 years ago, I was like, Oh, I'll be dead by the time I'm 50 or something like that. I never expected it. And you can even see even Don is out there, you know, with his triple neck and, you know, doing his thing. And I, I think it's cool. It's very inspiring. And no matter how old and ugly we get, imagine this bunch of people when people are starting to reach, you know, Johnny Cash kind of age. Mm-hmm. It's going to be wonderful to look at this shit. <laughs> yeah, I think the convenient thing, most of us have always been kind of ugly, so all we got to do is get old. Yeah, that, that's, the, <laughs> that's the cool thing about heavy metal and that whole scene is that, you know, ugly guys yeah. get beautiful girls. <laughs> yeah, the, the age kind of, do- I think the age does us some favors too. There's kind of like a an aesthetic, oh, yeah. an aesthetic to it. The, it's it's for, for hip-hop and for heavy metal, it's the same thing, I think. It's like... If you're a little older, it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's okay, you know. It's, look at Lemmy, you know. He was pulling twenty-five-year-old chicks and stuff <laughs> like that, and it's people can say whatever they want about that, you know. But he wasn't complaining all the way to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so you know. With everything that has been going on, thankfully we didn't touch up on any of this, like. How has COVID been treating you? I mean, you live in the middle yeah. of the woods, so you probably don't give a fucking shit anyways. Nope. You're not in America and like, you know, surrounded by a big city and all this shit. You're in fucking Norway. So I imagine it's a completely different situation. I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the middle of the woods outside my house. It looks exactly like the drape I got behind <laughs> me. So I got wolves. I got bears. I got, you know, five inches of snow now and frost and there's no one around there's no fucking covid there's nothing if you if you put a mask on in my local store people just look at it and you can almost hear them going for the gun you know it's so and in the whole of norway we had 320 deaths it's nothing so people are just fucking around (laughs) yeah yeah but i I use it as an inspiration to be honest and it might be a little harsh and uh you know tough angled to say but we deserve it as humans. We deserve a fucking smack, so it's okay. And uh, I think it's good that everyone is kind of like, you have to kind of reset your brain a little because things got so serious. So I use it as an inspiration instead. You know, everyone, you know, a lot of people is getting paid to be home, make an album, write a book, 
do something that you've been thinking about for 20 years instead of just like complaining like half the planet is doing now. Yeah, I think that there's just some people that unfortunately didn't have anything to look forward to. No reason to have time alone. And I can't believe, like, I never thought about that until now. You know, I think that, you know, people always talk about, oh, you should have something to live for. And I get it. But, like, I kind of have this mentality of, like, I like the idea of just, like, having, like, I can live for the, I, uh, how do I word this? Like, I don't have anything that I have to do. I can just chill out and I have these projects and little small things and you know it's not an obligation I'm wording this terribly my brain's going but I think that uh, just finding with everything that happened it's been really interesting to see how some people have nothing else better to do now but complain about having nothing to do where prior (laughs) all they were doing was complaining about never having nothing to do so it's like what are not enough time to do the things they wanted to do yeah 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 i I mean i've said this ten thousand fucking times you know whenever anybody asks me how to do something i just say you've gotta actually want to give a shit you gotta have the will that's all you need you don't you don't need you don't need do whatever you want yeah you don't need the fanciest guitar you don't need the fanciest fucking computer. You don't need anything. You just need to have that drive and everything yeah. else will figure itself out. Yeah, it does. That goes for everything, you know, in life in general. People just stopped and thought a little bit about stuff. But it's again, it's back to Internet and, you know, social medias and just these brainwashing tools. You know, I enjoy watching old VHS tapes just for the fuck of it. Yeah. <laughs> Because I think it's just like, well, okay, it's inspiring. I have still have like some of my old compilation VHS tapes from the eighties, and I put them on every now and then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, I think that it's important to go back and revisit those things that inspired you to become who you are today, and really yeah. analyze like what you were trying to do. Because I think sometimes you could get lost. You know, completely, and it's so natural. Much, it's, yeah. it's okay. You know, I don't blame like a lot of big bands, for example, for like just kind of getting lost in a modern sound or overproduced kind of stuff and money and whatever. But it's natural. It's what's in us humans, you know. But I wish a little bit more could come to the conclusion of I need to go back in time. Like, for example, Johnny Cash did. He went back in time five minutes before he died. He said, okay, I'm going to record four albums or five albums or what the fuck it was. Just with stuff he was inspired by. Yeah. And he picked really cool songs and stuff like that. But he went back in time, you know, and had a talk with himself. And I think, imagine all those bands, the the cool big bands, you know, Megadeth, Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer, Sodom, Iron Maiden, also all of those bands, imagine them just, like I said earlier, going back a little bit with some crappy equipment and a couple of weeks alone with some beers <laughs> and just cranking out some songs, you know. Yeah, I think it- I, I think I think that would be some remarkably good albums if someone can get those people back into that state of mind and like you know, Bruce Dickinson's got a, he's got his own jumbo jet 
you know, how can you keep your feet on the ground anymore? Mm -hmm. Literally. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's, you know, for me, I had been thinking a lot about when was my happiest time being a creative person? And like, yeah. what was I doing in that time? And it was like before yeah. the Facebooks and all this other shit was going on. And I was just making music for me and my friends and, you know, playing shows to friends and family and shit. And it's like, it wasn't this huge thing, but I was happy, genuinely fucking happy. So yeah. I need to just like over the, you know, with the exception of the podcast, because this is a very social platform for me. So outside yeah, of that's this, different. That's one of yeah. the actually the good things are the podcasts and some of those things. I like downloading ancient aliens, like in the middle <laughs> of the night and stuff like that. Yeah, like I just else. you know I just <laughs> try to go back to staying offline and just try to focus on working on projects and just you know doing working every day on a new thing. Like you know, just whatever it is. I have way. I'm doing way too much. But as long as I get like one cool thing done a day and I didn't like, you know, yeah. freak out. I do that, I, I do I that all good, the time. Good. Like the, the last couple of days I've been like uh, sending out layouts and masters and stuff for cassette releases. You know, <laughs> it sounds completely weird. Like, <laughs> but it's like there's some cassette releases in, in Chile and in uh, Malaysia and in Italy. You know, it's, well, OK, I think it's fun. You know, making the, it's only going to be printed in like a hundred copies, and there's one in Spain too. It's been printed in you know hundred copies of one of my solo albums. But I think it's fun. It makes me feel good. But I've been working a couple hours on that, and I'm setting that off. And I know I'm going to get a cool tape back in <laughs> back in the post in some months. Uh -huh. I think that's fun. I do it only for myself. I don't do it for anyone. It's just for my own enjoyment. And I've always done it with all the music. Like I said in the start and stuff, everything about black metal was only about us and doing it for yourself. Even the church burnings were, you know, an internal thing. It might sound like, like people were doing it to kind of really rebel against the government, the Christian government, stuff like that. I think it was even much more internal thing that you just want to prove all to all the other guys that I'm the crazy motherfucker in this town. And then it just went like really nuts, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine, you know, it's no different than, uh, you know, my buddy here that used to like to throw bricks through the laundromat window. No good reason. <laughs> he was just being a turd, just being a little yeah, shit. And then, yeah. you know, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, there's obviously no sort of a statement to it. But I imagine with like the church burning, there's like, oh, it's real easy to attach a pretty serious statement to this. And there are people yeah. that feel that feel very passionate about sort of things. And like, the, the reaction is take, take it and run. It's so good. It's so instant. It's it, and it exploded way more than any of us thought. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was really like an instant reaction, you know, I'm sure those guys who burn churches, you wake up the morning after and look in the paper and there's like, you got the front page of every newspaper. Uh, it's, it's exciting. And you know that your friends, your closest ones, they will know that you've been doing this and your, you know, your status in the whole scene and oh, sure. that and kind of thing. That's, that's what Euronymous brought in with mayhem, you know, this classification military style of, and of course, Varg also brought in that kind of thing, you know, where, you have to push those boundaries. And I'm all for pushing boundaries. And I push them very far <laughs> and very wrong very many times. <laughs> yeah, I think that, and you I, know. I've been to jail too and I've done all the things and I tried to murder a guy and things <laughs> went completely fucking bonkers. Jesus and Christ. 
I never did one of those things to do anything against society. It was just like, ah, I'm possessed. I'm fucking possessed. That's what I felt when I did those things. It's yeah. just completely brainless, zombified, just like, I love the feeling. The feeling of everything was so cool. It just, it yeah. fucks up a young person, you know, if, yeah, I think they <laughs> take it too seriously, you know. Yeah, it's interesting thinking about, you know, all of this stuff happening at the time when as a human you're like, you know, absorbing everything like a fucking sponge and you're developing so much, you're changing, maybe you're like 16, 17, 18 and like life is changing on all these angles and you feel immortal. Like you just feel like you're fucking immortal in that time frame. Okay. You you're growing like if I met myself when I was 18, 19 years old, I'd probably beat up myself because, <laughs> you know, I had wings the size of giants. You know, you just, it feels good. It feels really good. It feels like your black belt martial arts in, you know, black metal. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. feels really good. And on the stage and, you know, everything was growing and bubbling and you had the media and everything was just like... Whoosh. Of course, it's, it does something with a really young mind, and every one of us had a young mind. So it just, it colored so much of my soul, to say, mm -hmm. that uh, I can kind of get out of that kind of thing. It's still a part of me that is just as big part of me as the heavy metal side of me, which is the stuff I grew up with since I was very little. That's like one side of me. That's why I have two names, for example, because I can't like, I'm kind of a little schizo on that stuff, you know, I have so much heavy metal and then there's this really, really black side that just want to run into the forest here and scream and shout. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, okay, I have to do both of this and I'm hyper creative too. I can't stop making music, you know, so I'll keep making stuff and it's ending up in all kinds of different projects and it, it's, I don't know, it feels like a possession that took place when we were younger in all of us yeah the whole scene and i think you can still hear that there is a difference and i'm not saying this to brag my flag <laughs> but there is a difference in the sound of norwegian bands contra all the other bands sure. when it comes to black metal and it's still there and i don't know why yeah, yeah. it's the feeling we have or it's the thing we're born with or something but even just the difference between Sweden and Norway is big when it comes to black metal. They, they are very good at what they're, they're doing, but it doesn't smell of woods and snow and that kind of stuff sure. in the same sense. Sure. There, there's a, there's a different nuance. I imagine, you know, you know, like, uh, you know, a, a black metal band from Texas is going to sound maybe just as silly as a Norwegian Pantera. So we, sometimes I see bands and it's like, <laughs> this is, and some of them, I know some really cool black metal bands from Texas, like you know, the black Moray and stuff like that. Yeah. They're, they're pretty good, but they have adapted and they're doing a black metal desert thing, you know? And, but sometimes I have bands like I had this band from Texas who contacted me and they were doing the full corpse paint spikes, Gorgoroth thing. And they were all in Bermuda, black Bermuda shorts. It's like, fuck, this is weird. This surfer skater thing that you're mixing in here. Yeah. And they were con contacting me and like, Hey, we want to play in Oslo. And I said, you don't actually want to play in Oslo. <laughs> I can guarantee you, you do not want to play in Oslo. <laughs> There's going to be no one there apart from the sound engineer. Uh -huh. 
because the standard is just like it's way up and i see a lot of bands coming to norway thinking that oh we're gonna be part of this black metal thing and it's not to be cruel or mean or anything but norwegians are a little cold when it comes to that black metal thing so a lot of those bands go back home with a tail behind their leg between their legs and it wasn't the best of experiences because none of the Norwegians yeah. were going like, yeah, black metal well, from can... Ghana in Africa. No, that's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. I can imagine <laughs> that, you know, I think maybe it's not even something that's necessarily tied to music in general, but maybe something with Norwegian culture is where you probably value authenticity a lot more than, we'll say, an American. And I think that as a heavy metal musician, it's really easy to, to get caught up in like the prof proficiency and the knowledge of like an instrument and i'm not saying that yeah. you know people that are like in black metal aren't proficient but that's not what it's all about i think there's a nuance in authenticity and like being genuine to what you're doing and what you're contributing to the craft of heavy metal or black metal that somebody in Norway is probably going to appreciate more than how fast you can shred or how good your drummer is or how you know how good your face paint looks and all that shit i think a lot of that stuff doesn't matter it's It's just like who the fuck are you you're coming here it's about it's about the feeling that you can put forth you know yeah it's like people keep forgetting that it's it's all about the feeling that's why we have genres because when you look at a genre you expect a certain feeling and you look at an album cover and you look at band and the song titles and you expect even a more feeling like that's why the first Cannibal Corpse is really cool because we get the full package again. Yeah. Know? I imagine and being a band from outside of Norway and going there, like a black metal band, and going there to play shows would be like, you know, uh, going to a restaurant and bringing the waiter food. <laughs> it is actually or going just going to the sunset strip from norway and being a glam rock band from yeah, norway yeah 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 say we're going to the sunset strip no one's gonna wink an eye or you just even register that you're there you know uh-huh. that's what it said you, people have to realize who am i what kind of band do i want to be what's my field you know do a little research figure this shit out because if you're going to do something and you're just trying too hard and it's not really you, but, you know, you like corpse paint, but you're a little scared when you go to Gargoroth's show and actually want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's not your thing, you know. Maybe you should do some technical death metal instead, or there's nothing bad about that, you know. But I see a lot of people call them posers. I don't really care that much for that name, but I see a lot of people who try really hard. Well, I think sometimes, and- I think that comes from, like, like the environment that you're maybe brought up in and like the people that you have, like maybe like, you know, like your one really, really good friend is into black metal. You kind of yeah. like the American <laughs> stuff, but you know, you want to hang out with Todd. So now all of a sudden you have a dark throne <laughs> back patch on your jacket so you can hang out with Todd and hang out with Todd's friends. Yeah, and suddenly you're playing in a black metal band, exactly. with Todd, and you're yeah. puking blood on stage, and you're you want to go home and listen to Corn, and you can't do that because Todd <laughs> would you know make fun of you. Yeah, and yeah. The girl in front of you, she's like been like transfixed into Cradle of Filth, so you want to go a little vampire there. So you're kind of like looking at yourself, and you're 17 years old, and you're a gangly little skeleton thing, and. She loves Peter Steele from Typo Negative, and it's just all crushing you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? So 
yeah, what do you do to get away from all of the distractions? You and your friends decide, hey, let's go light a church on fire. Fuck it. Yep. <laughs> let's let's make let's make our own fucking club here. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> this is our black circle. Uh-huh. And and it worked a couple of instances. It worked. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, man. Well, dude, I could probably keep talking to you for like another hour, but I actually have to get to band yeah. practice. I'm probably going to be late, which is funny, but it's all right. Yeah, but it's a very decent thing to go to. So yes, yes, yes. I yeah, and uh, also we've been chatting for an hour and a half at this point. So anybody that's oh, still yeah. even watching at this point, thank you for sitting through all of this. If it took you a couple, a couple visits, you have to come stop it and come back. I appreciate your <laughs> diligence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, thank you, everyone. But I think some of my people will actually be hanging out and watching this and. They really actually like to do that. I did some podcasts earlier, and a lot of people actually bothered to watch like two hours or something. So, yeah, yeah. it's well, dedicated yeah. people. I mean, it's a <laughs> it's a good time to be doing things like this for sure. If uh, if yeah, you're going to be at home or isolating from people, at least take the time to you know and interact with art that you like uh interact with you know podcasts and listen to people have some conversation stimulate your thoughts and uh hopefully you know people got something out of this i feel like we talked about a lot of cool shit i appreciate you making the time yeah i think it was cool i I love your little challenge going there man i just wanted to help out and have a little talk you know i'm sitting in the woods and i was having a beer and i was watching your show and uh, you were talking to uh to blaine from banger and i was like i got really into it i was like i'm just gonna send this guy a mail <laughs> yeah i appreciate it dude i really do because like that honestly i mean you know this because you're old school the only way this shit grows is from communication and collaboration <laughs> yeah that's very true <laughs> and uh it? yeah i did see it? see it yeah that's awesome <laughs> uh and uh you know, so I appreciate you taking uh, time. That's, that's it's very true, you know. And I like to talk to like real people, and some people just stand out to me like real people. That's why I, you know, I like your stuff, and I, I just I watch Banger TV and those kind of guys because they come from a real place. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. Well, with all that being and said, it's, and it's better than linear TV and you know all that all that shit. You know, I rather just pick my little things and enjoy if I'm gonna watch something. Yeah, listen to something. that's like the the fun thing about YouTube is that you just kind of have like a DIY TV sort of thing, and you can yeah. you can find <laughs> like the most obscure wild shit. It's really nice. Suddenly, I just oh, I want to go into this topic, and you just wild down the rabbit hole, and there you go. Mm-hmm. There's a million other people who's just as fucked in the head as you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend, uh, I guess that's probably going to be about it. Awesome, you know from from America to norway look at this is crazy we're talking in real time right now through screens yeah fucking wild it's like you know when we were young and watching blade runner and stuff like (laughs) we're not quite there but we're no we're heading there yeah yeah (laughs) yeah you you are my first international guest so thank you for that oh Oh, wait no blaine's in canada that doesn't count we're same continent that doesn't count that doesn't count he lives That's like putting on a hat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could drive to Toronto in like six hours. Actually, probably. You're so far north as well, you know, you can spit into Canada. Yeah, yeah that yeah. doesn't count. Yeah, it doesn't count at all. So you're the first international guest. Thank you for being here. And hey, have a good I would say have a good day, but it's probably like eleven o'clock there now. So have a good night. 
almost midnight, you right? Have, have a great rehearsal, man, and say hi to your people in the band and the people you hang out with. We'll do. Like we'll do. You're we'll do. Awesome dude, man. We're actually we're going into the studio this weekend. We're we're going to record four songs in two days. Oh, very cool. That's that's what I said. You know, <laughs> do it fast. Do yeah. it quick. Do it so, in full passion. I, Have a couple of beers and just go for it. Yeah. And if you need any help, I can master your stuff. If you need some mastering. Hey, you know, whenever I get the uh whenever we get the stuff back, I'll I'll shoot it over to you. See see if it's authentic or if it's a yeah. pile of shit, you could tell me and I won't feel bad. <laughs> We're learning. I listen here. to all kinds of music, you know. Yeah. So I I got an open ear for everything. So and I got a good studio here, I can do masters for you and stuff like that. And if you need anything, just let me know. You're a really outstanding guy. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh with all that being said, I guess I'm just gonna end this phone call and then I'll put an outro in. So Take care of yourself and yo, enjoy the woods. Be safe out there. Don't get eaten by a bear or anything. The world would be a worse place without you, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, dude. Have Don't a good get eaten by the beat town. Yeah, I won't get eaten by COVID. That's pretty much the only thing I have to worry about. That's true. <laughs> All right. See you, dude. Have a good day. Okay, have a good day, man. Peace out.